0: Hello, friends. Welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Malouf, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. Thanks for joining us again.
1: It's kind of fun seeing everyone in the same room for a change. (laughs) I can see everyone now all in one swoop. I am grateful for Zoom, I have to say. Where would we be without it? I wanted to talk tonight a little bit about... Our good friend, Doubt. I figured I'm not the only one that has ever experienced that. If I am wrong, then... If I'm remiss in that, that, then we have a problem. But I'm presuming that uh, many of you have known that hindrance of doubt. So I wanted to... I was looking through the podcast and Dharma Talks, and it looks like I haven't given much of a talk on it in about a year. So I thought I would uh, revisit it, just give a few observations about it. One of the things that I always like to remind, or remind us when we, when we talk about doubt is that it's easy to think of doubt as a kind of mental issue, <laughs> a mental diagnosis, meaning you have thoughts that are like doubtful thinking, right? Which is true, there's that. But in the Dharma, we're, we're looking at doubt as a, a doubtful self, That arises right it's a whole fabricated experience so when we think of doubt in the Dharma doubt is not just doubtful thinking it's it's the experience it's the emotional tone of feeling doubtful whether it's self-doubt or doubt of others or doubt of meditation practice that's a whole experience that we have when we're feeling doubtful and it's such a man it's such a big word in in the Dharma so I kind of want to just explore the significance of it and why we need to i think we need to remind ourselves of it because it's easy to feel it without even knowing it it's kind of tricky it doesn't like to be seen but it surely likes to influence and it definitely likes to influence in our own voice so those doubtful thoughts can come up and they're so convincing that before we know it we're feeling like we don't have confidence or we're distrusting of something or someone and by the time we're realizing oh i'm feeling doubtful or skeptical We've already been acting, right? We've already been acting out of a, a doubtful heart or a doubtful mind. So it's just, it's a sneaky one. And it, it feels like craving and aversion maybe not as sneaky. Maybe, I, maybe, I, maybe that's just how, maybe doubt just sneaks up on me, but I think the doubt's kind of tricky. Um, so I want to talk about this tonight. The first thing I wanted to say is that when we're looking at doubt, we want to look at it as a gradation of experience. So with all of our hindrances, we can fall into the habit of narrowing our definition of what we think the hindrance is, which then decreases our ability to see all the nuances of the emotion, right? Or the thoughts or the experience of whatever the hindrance is. So when we think of doubt, doubt has got this huge uh, scale, if you will. On the one hand, doubt can be just kind of a skepticism, right? Sometimes it's translated as skeptical doubt. So it could be just kind of a, a skepticism, Or in uncertainty, like I'm not really sure about something, right? That kind of doubt. And it can go all the way to a very emphatic sense of not believing something, right? Real doubt, where you really are not confident in yourself or you're really not confident in some situation or someone else externally, internally, of course. So doubt can be just the slightest, oh, I doubt I'll get there on time, or <laughs> I'm having doubt in this person in my life, right? Or I'm doubting the Dharma, or I'm doubting whether meditation works. or So doubt can have this huge spectrum of experience, which is in part why it can be sneaky, because it can start as a little seed of second-guessing and turn into a big tidal wave of you know uh, self-deprecation e- even. And I don't know if other people experience it this way, but I can be having a day where The day, Maybe the day starts off good, whatever that would mean for me on any given day. Like, oh, I have a good Dharma consult with someone, or I get to work on time, or whatever. I'm feeling good about myself in some way or another. And then there's this other part of Gregory that arises and says, yeah, but you know, you could have done that better, or you could have done this better, or what about... And then it's just that little seed, that little seed of second-guessing you know, and then you might argue with it, but it's really convincing. And then before you know it, you're like, yeah, I'm not good enough. And it's like, how did that get in the room? How did we go from this moment is fine to I really need to do better in life in some way. And so so we have to be careful with doubt because it can go from just a tiny little poke to this whole push to where we're in in an experience where we're very disbelieving and feeling a lack of confidence or support. So we need to look at it as this gradation, this huge gradation of experience from a little bit of uncertainty to real disbelief and lack of confidence in. The other part of doubt that we forget that I always like to talk about is that doubt has two sides. So in the Dharma, doubt exists as one of our hindrances. That's the one that prevents awakening or say it prevents awakening it's it's a stumbling block to awakening right it's kind of in between us and awakening because it's arising in that hindrance space of dukkha so dukkha wears the mask or the costume of doubt and it's in between us and uh, the awakened self so to speak so there's there's that part of doubt and that we're usually familiar with but then sometimes it's easy to forget that there's also the healthy doubt there's skillful doubt that the buddha talks about in that he encourages us to be healthfully skeptical as we're learning the Dharma, to ask questions, to be engaging, to not take anything at face value, to know truth as experience rather than as something on a page or in a book or in a Dharma talk. So that's the other kind of doubt that we can forget about, which is the skillful kind, where healthy skepticism that comes from being a spiritual seeker on the path. And I'll talk a little bit about that. So we have this balance between doubt as a hindrance that has this big range of experience and then skeptical doubt, which is something that's encouraged for us to continue to do in order to be skillful on the path itself. What's interesting about doubt, and I don't, (laughs) I always say this to be reassuring, but maybe it's not (laughs) reassuring, but here I'm going to say it again anyway. So... (laughs) It sounds reassuring in my head. That's I guess that's, that's the point I'm making. So when you're experiencing the Dharma and we're on the path, one of the hindrances that evaporates, so to speak, at stream entry is doubt. Because once we have our first experience of actual awakening, the doubt can never come back in that way. It's never going to come back in that way. We know for certain, because we've had the experience that the Dharma is the Dharma, awakening is awakening, and that it's possible and it's an experience and we've had the experience. So there is this end point where doubt evaporates, right? Now, the part that I find reassuring is that it's not going to completely leave even one second before awakening. It's like, it's going to be there every step of the way until we finally know for certain that awakening is really something that we can do. The reason I find that to be reassuring even though it doesn't sound as such, is that that allows me to remind myself that it's totally normal, completely expected all along the path that we're going to doubt ourselves and we're going to doubt the Dharma and we're going to doubt our teachers and we're going to doubt the world and people. Doubt's just going to be there. It's something that the mind's going to do. So when we feel bogged down by doubt, it can just be helpful. And I find this helpful to remind myself that all beings on this side of enlightenment are experiencing it. So we're all in the same boat. Like doubt's just gonna be there. Doubt's just a part of the jam. And I'm gonna talk talk about a couple ways that it is part of the human mind and why it's so intrinsic to who we are as spiritual practitioners. But I find it to be somewhat reassuring to know that anytime I'm experiencing doubt, that's just because I have a human mind. And if I'm experiencing a doubt on the path, that's just the path doing what the path does, completely normal and to be expected within the context of the Dharma. And when the doubt goes away, yay, there's awakening. When you get to stream entry, then there isn't that doubt. There's a little bit of certainty there that takes its place. One of the things that I've noticed is that some of us inherit, I know I have to some degree, doubt sort of gets a bad rap. The word doubt, the word doubt gets a bad rap particularly in spiritual communities, depending on our upbringing and what kind of spiritual trajectory we came from, right? Whatever communities we come from in the past, the doubt sometimes means that you're not a true believer in whatever it is you're doing, right? So people are afraid to express doubt in spiritual communities because it might say, oh, you're not doing the practice right, or you're not worthy of the insight of the practice, or You wouldn't have to doubt the teachings if you knew them better or were a better person. You see where this is going, right? Like some of us have an experience where saying that we're doubtful or skeptical in a spiritual community can kind of, depending on the community, can be, can result in shame. It can result in like you not wanting to tell anyone that you don't understand something because that means something about yourself. So it's important to know that. It does come up even in Buddhist communities where people don't want to express doubt or skepticism because they're afraid that other people are going to think they're not serious or they're not doing it right in some way. And so there's a stigma around doubt for a lot of us. And we don't want to be we don't want to broadcast ourselves as ignorant because that somehow impacts our self-esteem in some way. Right. We might be insecure and we might have this protective sense that we want to keep up. So to talk about doubt is not something we're used to. And luckily in the Dharma, it's celebrated as a part of the path where we want to talk about things that we're skeptical about. We want to talk about the doubt that arises in practice. That's part of the journey. That's part of the growth. And the Buddha encouraged us to just be cool with with the doubt. It's not something that we need to uh, try to fabricate away in some way. So another place that I, I find that a doubt can have a bad sort of reputation in a sense is also just in our Western psychology that we tend to associate doubtful or skeptical people with folks that um, are overly negative right They have an overly negative worldview. They're critical of things like why and, and the phrase I'm thinking of is why do you always have to be so doubtful about things that that's the energy I'm talking about right? Why are you so skeptical about it? <laughs> everything. So doubtfulness sometimes has this kind of hue to it, which is like, don't be that way. Just get on board and and it'll be easier. And just grounding this in psychology for a moment, which I think is really interesting. In cognitive psychology, uh, cognitive psychology, if I remember correctly, Aaron Beck. Aaron Beck was the founder of cognitive psychology, I believe. I should know that, but I think it's Aaron Beck. Anyway, I know someone came up with this uh, cognitive triad, which I believe is Beck. The cognitive triad is this idea that when we feel depressed or sad, that depressed depression tends to have at its core a doubtful energy. And what they found is that when people experience depression, their doubt shows up in three different ways. We doubt our self-worth like we don't feel like we're worthy. We doubt the world. We look at the world as being unsafe, unworthy of experience, kind of like this is like life is not a cool jam for whatever the reason. So there's, there's a doubt of the world around us. There's the doubt of ourselves. So that's two ways that doubt comes up. And then there's doubt that there's going to be a happy future or a positive outcome for life. So in Western psychology, doubt, often is trained in us to be, you know, you want to get rid of that. You don't want to be doubtful because that's just a negative way of looking at the world and well, you should be optimistic and you should be. So I just want to throw that out there because I know a lot of us come into these things with this this inheritance and I know I've had multiple inheritances around this idea. I tend to be a skeptical person and I know in my life I've been reprimanded for being skeptical and being doubtful, which is ironic because I attribute that to having a successful dharma practice. Like I part of my practice feels successful because I've pushed myself to know the truth directly and I don't take things at face value. So I practice and I get into it and I want to know what it feels like. But in my life outside of dharma, I'm often the one who's scolded for being doubtful and skeptical about things. So wherever your inheritance of doubt is, know that in the dharma it is a safe place to be doubtful, right? Doubtful is a hindrance, it comes up for all of us. And there is skillful doubt as well um, on the path in exploring and getting into the teachings. And I'll clarify that in a sec. Well, let me say this. One thing to know is that doubt is one of the five hindrances. We kind of know that, that's kind of a given. Doubt is one of the five hindrances, and it's considered to be the most dangerous of the hindrances. Because when we start doubting ourselves and doubting the practice, it leads to stopping practice, right? So oftentimes doubt can be referred to as the practice killer because people get into these doubt storms, as they're called, and they can't get out. And so they stop practicing. You know, they just feel like, yeah, it's not working for me, or I can't do it, I can't get awakened, or other pe- Everyone else can do the Dharma, but I can't do the Dharma. And people stop. People stop practicing because of doubt. Usually people don't stop practicing when they feel anxious or depressed, or if there's aversion. These type of negative emotions... Those type of emotions tend to drive our practice like, oh, I'm feeling sad. Maybe the Dharma can help me or I'm feeling anxious. Maybe the Dharma can help me there. But when doubt comes, doubt says stop practicing. (laughs) So it's a weird, unique hindrance that directly impacts how we're motivated to practice. So we need to be awake and aware of it. But I wanted to talk about some of the positive qualities of doubt so we can remind ourselves why it's there. Like, why is it that the human mind is doubtful? (laughs) all the time. Why couldn't we have just been built with a better app, right? But we weren't. We're skeptical creatures by nature. So I just want to remind us that biologically, doubt arises, of course, because if we're doubtful creatures, that helps us to decrease risk, right? It it moderates impulsivity and risk-taking. So human beings, in order to survive, have this programming that we call doubt that allows us to be cautious and skeptical to keep us safe from danger, so when doubt arises, you might thank doubt for arising and say, thank you for sharing. Thank you for trying to protect me. Because at its root, doubt is trying to protect. It's trying to keep us safe. And so doubt, if, we, <laughs> if it wasn't for our doubtful ancestors, none of us would have been in this room, right? Our ancestors would have looked at a plant and they wouldn't have had any doubt about it and it might have been poisonous, right? Or they would, you know, just go jump off a cliff or something. Who knows? They, there would be no caution. So we're here today because our predecessors were hesitant and skeptical and doubtful enough to survive existence and to figure out their environment and to move forward. So when doubt comes, it's this gift that we have of, hey, is this true? Is this safe? Can I move forward? What should I do with this thing? So it's just good to know that doubt is something you can thank. You can thank it for sharing and you can thank it for protecting you. So when that doubtful self arises, You don't have to push it away. You can actually honor what it is at its base. The mind, as I've talked about before, with negative brain bias, just means the mind is designed to scan the horizon for danger. Because for us as animals, it's much safer for for us to err on the side of caution than it is just to jump into something. If a plant looks funny and you're like, oh man, I don't know if I should eat that. And you end up eating it anyway and it's poison that's not good if you don't get the joy of the plant but you live that's actually better so like being robbed of an opportunity to eat a blueberry and enjoy the blueberry versus thinking that it's you know something safe is better for for us as a species right as an animal so for survival doubt's actually where we're leaning towards we lean towards being cautious and skeptical and concerned because that's our survival mechanism so if you're the kind of person that has doubt that arises, just know that it's just there as a friend. It's not, it's not trying to throw you off track, although it can feel that way, certainly. Uh, when you get a doubt storm, it can be really uncomfortable. We'll talk about that too, but we're wired for this. We're wired to be skeptical. We're wired to be doubting. Another thing just to remind ourselves is that for survival, it helps to be familiar with our surroundings, Right so if you think of us evolving and getting to know our environment we want to know what the familiar terrain is we want to know what familiar weather is we want to know what familiar people are so the mind wants familiarity and when things come into the mind that are not familiar there's this part of us biologically that's like whoa what is this i don't know what this is like mm, i don't know if i can trust you so you ever have an experience where you meet someone new you've never met before and they say something or behave in a particular way, and then you kind of have this uncomfortable, you don't know what it is, but the part of you is like, ah, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel safe, or I don't, I don't feel comfortable here, or, or you're in a circumstance which feels off in some way. Doubt, this is that part of the brain's like, safety, 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 am I safe here? So this is another thing that happens is that we protect ourselves from each other, which of course is, there's a shadow side to this, obviously, by being more comfortable with familiarity than to people that are different from us because we don't know if it's safe i don't know you i don't know where you come from i don't know what your culture is and so instinctively we're like it's safer if i just push you away than to just be vulnerable to you out the gate so our natural inclination is to protect That's what doubt, that's where doubt comes from. It's also why doubt is one of the five hindrances, because it's so deeply wired in who we are as people. We're just wired for it. And again, for me, that just says, okay, great. I'm wired for doubt. I can learn to live with it. I can learn to manage it. I can transcend it as a hindrance, but I don't have to shame myself or think that there's something wrong when doubt doubt arises. Now, there's that protective side, but then there's, of course, the negative side of doubt, which... As I just said, because we wanna protect ourselves, doubt can backfire, especially at this point in human development when we're all living in such close quarters and globalization and cultures are crossing over, right? We have this inherent bias of other and now we're trying to live together and we gotta get that down, right, in order to survive. And so doubt can create prejudice, right? The skepticism of other, oh my God, who are you? You're different, that means you're bad or wrong or I need to have power over you or whatever the case is. So doubt is going to be that seed of bias which then creates prejudice because we're like, ooh, I don't know what this is. So it backfires, so in that case, that's where we start seeing a hindrance, right? Where doubt can be something that doesn't work so much in our favor. And then the other part of it is we can become so doubtful that we don't trust ourselves right? We can have self-doubt, as it's called, to the point where the biological drive to keep us safe prevents us from living deeply. It prevents us from having open-hearted, you know, community and deep connective experiences with each other. Because that part of our brain that's doubtful is like, I'm so doubtful of myself and other that I can't connect, right? I can't be open. So it, it errs on the other side. Instead of being cautious, it keeps us apart, right? It keeps us separate, separate from ourselves, being confident and self-loving. And it keeps us separate and distant from others because we become skeptical of other. So too much doubt can be paralyzing. Anyone who's had the experience of doubting yourself in a situation, maybe you're doubtful at your job or doubtful in a relationship or doubtful in a project you're working on and you just don't feel like you can pull it off or stick the landing on something. That self-doubt can be really uncomfortable it can be hard to get out of it spirals this constant sense of i'm not good enough and i can't do it and so your mind gets so cautious that it gets wrapped up in itself and it's this contracted sense so doubt as an experience of a hindrance can be a very contracted disconnected from ourself disconnected from other experience what starts off as something that's intended for safety now becomes self-harming, right? Now becomes a hindrance to not only our experience with ourselves and others, but an experience that prevents awakening because it's a contracted experience. It can lead to fear, right? I'm afraid to. I'm afraid that I won't be able to do this right, so I'm not going to be myself. I'm going to withhold my heart from people because I'm afraid of what they'll think of me because I have self-doubt. So you can see it just—it has this really uh, incredible tendency to switch from you know just a little bit of uncertainty to not having strong self-concept or feeling really insecure. And it affects our relationships. So that's another thing I just wanted to clarify is that doubt is interpersonal. So doubt is not just, oh, I'm feeling doubtful in my thinking. Doubt changes our relationship to ourself and doubt changes our relationship to other. So that's another reason why as a hindrance, we have to get to know our doubt patterns. How do we fabricate the experience of doubt in our life? How do we experience self-doubt? How do we experience doubt of a political party or a politician we don't like or a movement? Or how do we experience that? How do we fabricate doubt in our lives? And what is the impact on ourselves and our relationships? So it's a biggie. It's such a big one. One aspect of this that I've included in my Dharma talks since maybe since our last election here in the United States, but definitely during COVID, was noticing how doubt can impact broad swashes of, of people, right? Doubt that sows the seeds of discontent. So one thing that you notice on the internet and God, just all over the place now is the doubt that something's true and not knowing where to find the truth of something. Right? Something arises that some people say is knowledge and the other people say it's not. That skepticism and doubt that something is true or sowing the seeds of doubt purposefully in another consciousness can lead to feelings of anger, violence, despair, uncertainty. So doubt can be weaponized, right? We can make someone doubt something for our own gain, our own benefit. And we've seen a lot of that human trait come out in the last few years. It's really uh, obvious on social media. I won't, you know, we know what that is. But I just wanted to remind ourselves that sowing the seeds of doubt is an abusive relating tactic between people, right? One of the definitions of gaslighting is that the person leaves feeling what? Doubtful and confused, right? A lot of abusive behaviors between humans leaves the person that's being abused or hurt in some way feeling like it's their fault. Right? They second-guess themselves. There's a skepticism and a doubt that they're left with. And a lot of those type of relational interactions can leave people feeling doubtful. So doubt can be used in a really harmful way in relationships if we're not careful. And that's just one of those things that I never realized before, uh, just seeing things in culture that arose like during COVID and during the last couple election cycles here in the United States, is seeing how uh, doubt can be used to create fear in people. People can get really afraid when they doubt the truth of something. Let's see, a couple other things I wanted to say. Okay, I'll go this way with it. I've got a couple ways I could take this, and I wanna, I'll i say this. One of the things I've always enjoyed about the Dharma is the Buddha's encouragement for us to really find out truth for ourselves. I've always found that to be, I'm not sure I would be a part of the Dharma if that wasn't such a big theme. I really enjoy the autonomy of being a Dharma practitioner, right? I really enjoy the fact that the Buddha says specifically that the Dharma isn't true until you experience it for yourself. He's not saying, Hey, this is the truth. I want you to believe it. He's saying, I've experienced something that decreases my suffering and increases my happiness. Would you like to see if it's true for you? And that invitation to the experience, I find that really welcoming I really like the idea that I have a choice and that I'm invited to take something on and try it out, and that I'm not required to believe in something until I've actually experienced it, I've actually seen it. And most of the time, when we're asked to look at something we call true, it's just a belief, like we give facts, or we say statements, or it's proven to us in some way, and when we accept the proof of the truth in a conceptual way or an intellectual way, maybe it's visual or experiential, but in the Dharma, it's a lived experience, that the Dharma is true because you know it to be true, because you're living the experience of suffering decreasing. That's when it's true for ourselves. It's not true before that. It's just a tri- it's a trial run, so, so, so to speak. <laughs> so when we get into meditation and we first start doing it and we're like, yeah, I don't know if this is working. That is certainly Dharma practice, but it's that ex- experimentation with the Dharma that leads to the truth, which is the experience, the direct experience. That's what I love about the Dharma is the direct experience of truth. And in light of that, it's really important, I think, to remember that awakening is a learning process. It's a process of growth. And the Buddha's invitation is an invitation to personal growth and personal awakening. And awakening means that we're going to move into the unknown because if we're not awake, then we don't see it yet. So awakening has a blind spot, right? By its nature, it's like we're awake or not awake. So until we're awakened as the process of the Dharma unfolds, we're going to continually move into knowing new parts of ourselves that we've never seen before. There's going to be parts of awakening that are a mystery. And then the mystery reveals itself and we're like, oh my gosh, I could be, com- I could have an experience of kindness or I can have an experience of compassion that I've never had before. But prior to that moment, we don't know. We don't know what that is. There's So as we move through the Dharma, we move from non-awakening to awakening, which is growth. And in that space between what is known and not known yet, the Buddha invites us to play around in that space. The Buddha invites us to be curious and interested and energized, right? The the Buddha wants us to experiment because how else do we move from one place to the other, right? We don't know what it is yet. We don't know what the jhanas feel like. We don't know what loving kindness can do. We got to try it out and experiment. So there's a lot of unknown in the practice of the Dharma, which means there's going to be a lot of doubt even small doubts, because we just don't know. We don't know what comes next. There's a lot of uncertainty in our practice. We don't know if we can do it. We don't know if we're going to get there. Sometimes I feel like I'm a five-year-old. This comes up a lot for me, maybe because I am inside a five-year-old. I just thought, (laughs) wait, insight. (laughs) Maybe this is insightful for me. Okay, I'm going to say it anyway, but (laughs) I... Sometimes I feel like I'm just like one of those kids in the back of the car that keeps asking his parents, like, are we there yet? Like, are we there yet? And I feel like that's what I do with the Dharma. The Dharma's driving and I'm in the back and I'm like, but when do I get to be awakened? But when do I get to be awakened? Like, I feel I'm bored now. Like, where's the awakening? Where's the, are we going to get there? Is someone, does someone have a map? Because I don't know where we're going and I don't feel in charge of this whole thing. Like, so that there's this space between the known and the unknown in this growth and development of our Dharma. Because of that, there's going to be doubt the whole way, even if it's small doubts. You know, it's like, oh, maybe this is as far as I'll get in the Dharma or I'm really feeling like some loving kindness, but I'll never be more loving. I mean, there's always these sense of like, maybe I'm not the one that gets to have joy. Everyone else gets to have the joy or I'm never going to have samadhi. Everyone else gets samadhi but me because I'm I don't have that. So there's this unknown that we have. We don't know how far we are or where we're located on the path. So there's going to be doubt. And if we remind ourselves of impermanence, remember that impermanence also means lack of reliability, right? Uncertainty. So because the world is impermanent, always changing and unreliable and unknowable fully, because it's always changing, we don't know what's going to happen next. There's going to be doubt because there's always going to be a sense of uncertainty in our life. We just don't know what's next. We just don't know. We don't know what's next. So to me, that's reassuring that doubt can be seen as, oh, I'm doubtful because I'm protecting myself. I'm doubtful because the world is impermanent. And when you live in an impermanent, unreliable world that's always changing, doubt's not a bad thing to have. You know, when you're walking a path of personal development, you should be a little skeptical of what's around the corner. Not so much that you don't practice, of course, but healthy skepticism is part of the growth process of being in the Dharma. It's part of what motivates us to move forward and check it out and see what's there. So you're welcome to join me in the back seat, and we can complain to our Dharma parents about (laughs) about if we're, maybe if we all speak louder enough, we'll get there quicker. Like we can join together and we can get there quicker. One other thing I'll say just about the, you know, how fascinated I am about the biology and psychology of this stuff. And so this is just another part of this that I like to talk about when we talk about doubt. There's this idea in the Dharma that many of us are aware of. It's not in the Theravada tradition. Um, It's more in Mahayana and specifically in Zen. But this idea of beginner's mind, which many of us have heard, right? Beginner's mind. People interpret it in different ways. I like to talk about it in terms of doubt. Healthy doubt. Skeptical doubt. Beginner's mind in the sense of, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Let me be healthfully skeptical. Let me come at this as a beginner who's curious and fascinated and interested and not know right have a sense of mystery, and what this reminds me of is uh, so in the early part of my therapy career, I did child and family therapy almost exclusively for for a really long time. Did child therapy and art therapy and play therapy with kiddos, and it's one of the things I did early on and. Uh, I was always fascinated by human development in relationship to the dharma. And so one of the things that always strikes me is that, you know, kids when they get to be about 2 years old, they go through the the why phase, right? It's like why this, why that, what's this? what's going on here? Completely insatiable, right? Doesn't matter like what's going on. Everything is like, but I don't, but why? But wh- beginner's mind. That that to me is like the the loop of the beginner's mind, but why you know, and then you give an answer, and then it's like, but why? Like there's just it's an the mind is just totally doubtful. It will not take any answer as being true. It wants to know why the truth is what it is, and it's a bottomless pit of why's, and it's it's doubt all the way down. (laughs) It's doubt all the way down, right? It's just doubt all the way down. And so what's happening there, of course, is the child is trying to figure out the truth of the world, and the child is not just you're going to, the child's going to ask, why are we going to the grocery store? And then you might say, well, because we have to get food so we can cook dinner. Why? (laughs) Why? Why do we have to do that? And then you can give another answer and so on and so forth. But when you give an answer, the child doesn't say, oh, thanks for dispelling the truth. I'm going to go play now. That's not how the, the conversation goes. The child doesn't just say, oh, that was a great answer. You dispelled all my internal doubt about the world and everything around me peace out, right? It's totally not, not, not what happens. So the, that that energy is a good energy to have in the Dharma. And I'll get back to this in one second. But I just wanted to 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 get you in touch with that sense, that curiosity that a child has about the truth of the world, and not taking anything as being true until they really, really experience it directly. Like, okay, now I see what you mean, I can take that to be truth. And I can put that question... Uh, Question to bed, and so when I think of beginner's mind, that's what I think of. I think of that curious, excited, interested child. That just there's not going to be enough why, right, to be satiated. It's just going to be curious till the till the end of time. This is a fun fact, and I'll I'll end here with this part of this. So, uh, kids ask between the ages of two and five. They think that kids ask about forty thousand questions. During this developmental period for the brain and, and <laughs> 40,000 questions. So it just tells you how deeply wired the curiosity and interest is right to have certainty about what the world is around us. Right. It's not in our instinct to, to not be doubtful. It's totally wired in there to just question things ad infinitum. So why do I say that? I just want to remind us that doubt is a part of healthy practice. Right. And like I said earlier, for myself, skillful doubt has been something that I feel has really enlivened my practice. And as a teacher, what I have noticed over the course of years now of teaching and also being a student, I've noticed that some of the most successful students, and by successful, I mean people who stick with it, right? Years later, they're still in there, are people who are interested and they're curious, right? They don't give up the curiosity. They ask questions. What about this? What's going on over here with loving kindness? What did the Buddha say about generosity? Why are there only four noble truths? (laughs) Right? Why aren't there five? Like those questions are, are, you know, can I get enlightened and still do intoxicants? Like, can someone clarify that for me? Like, you got to keep asking questions. Like that's what's going to keep you going in the the Dharma. So don't feel bad about the doubts and the inquiry about about your practice because that's what keeps you going. And that is what's encouraged by the Buddha, you know, getting that, that inquiry, a couple other things. I'll mention, mention just the shadow side of, I guess I could call this the shadow side, the mind, as I said earlier, enjoys familiarity, right? I find this interesting. The mind enjoys familiarity, but it wants to grow. (laughs) Of course, we're wired that human beings are always wired to do two things simultaneously that push and pull us in the exact opposite direction. It just seems like, oh, I like this, but I don't like that. It's like, oh, great. Now I've got this internal tension in my soul. And it just seems like everything about being a human being kind of (laughs) has that in there. So we like familiarity, but we want to grow. And in order to grow, we have to get past feeling insecure, right? We need to go past the familiarity into the unknown. And so it's this weird thing that we have to do and overcome in order to grow. And since enlightenment is a growth process, this is something we have to do as spiritual practitioners. We have to know this part of ourselves. So I just want to remind folks that we we don't, I guess I'll say don't, it's helpful to not automatically disbelieve that which is not congruent with what we're familiar with, right? Because that is what the mind tends to do initially, even in the Dharma. So a Dharma topic comes up, we don't really understand it, and we might immediately disbelieve or disregard it because the mind just, it's like, I'm not familiar with that, so I'm going to put it aside. So that is the shadow side of being you know, curious, is that when something comes up, We also have this tendency to disbelieve things because the mind wants to look for confirmation of what we already think we know. Oh, but I already know this thing, right? And the Dharma, when it's really working well, is going to challenge us. Oh my gosh. When the Dharma is really doing its job, it's going to get in there and it's going to overturn our worldview. It's going to change how we see our role in the universe and who we are as people and how we want to show up in relationships. In order for it to do that, it has to challenge what we think happiness is it has to challenge what we think life is what our purpose is on the planet those kinds of big things that happen when we seriously practice the dharma so it's good to remember that there's going to be times where we meet on the path kind of an impasse with a topic or something and we want to make sure that our healthy skepticism is really that and we're not just throwing something out because it's unfamiliar or we're just not ready to understand it in this moment right when I think of my, oh, I just I'll just mention Gowinka's famous uh, metaphor. I guess metaphor. Uh, Gowinka talks about being a kid, and I guess uh, in India they serve a um, kind of a porridge, and he would eat it. His mom would serve it in the morning, and it would have cardamom in it, right? The little black. And uh, as a kid, Gowinka would call that black stones, and he didn't want any any of that in his porridge. And so he would demand that his mom take out the black stones. He would pick them out. He's like, I don't want this. This is gross, right? So Goinka said, like, his mom would be like, look, if you don't like them, just put, take them out. You don't have to eat them. You can." And what his mom would say, though, is that eventually you'll know that it's a spice and it's flavorful and it has, you know, something to it that eventually you might, li- you might like. Right now you don't like it. So put it aside. So Goinko used to say, when you're walking the path of the Dharma... If you find black stones along the way, just take them out for now and revisit them later in your practice to keep seeing, you know, is this something I truly disagree with or am I at a different stage in practice where I can revisit it and gain perhaps some insight? And he just said, keep taking the black stones out if you don't like them. Eventually, some of them you're going to find are really flavorful spices and you just didn't have the awareness maturity to see what it was. So that's, I I love that because he gives us permission again to like be skeptical and be doubtful, put it aside if it's not working now, but revisit it and see, okay, what about karma? What about rebirth? What about keeping precepts? What about A, B, and C? Is it time to look at that again and say, okay, the self that shows up now in my Dharma, it's a different self that was here last year even yesterday or, or at the beginning of the sit for that matter but so we can you know we can do it and i know from from my experience one of the things i found really fun about the dharma is i will be completely skeptical of some part of the dharma and i will be skeptical of this part for years sometimes in my practice like i just a part i don't understand i don't get it i'm like yeah maybe maybe not i don't know what that is and i just put it aside and then all of a sudden i'll understand it and What I love about that is I was patient enough to be honest that in the moment, I didn't believe it. I didn't understand it and was not willing to take it on as faith. And then all of a sudden, I look at the topic again, and it's like illuminating in some way. And I've really found that that's a, for me, it's been a really healthy way to go about the Dharma. It's like if parts of it are incomprehensible or confusing, or even now when I'm like, I'll read a sutta or something in the Dharma, or I'll listen to a talk by a teacher, and I'll think to myself, "Eh, maybe I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what that is." Like, and I'll just get either frustrated or confused, or just like, "Eh, I'm not interested in that. To- <laughs> I'm not interested in that topic." And I'll just put it aside. I'm like, "Oh, maybe later." But that to me is what Guinka taught me—that healthy sense of like, this topic or this thing isn't resonating right now, but I will revisit it. I'll give it its—I'll give it its fair shake. But you know, in this moment, I just want to take it out of my porridge and eat. You know, and eventually I'll put it back and see if it tastes okay. And then if it still doesn't taste good, then it might just go on the shelf for a longer period of time. But I have found that there are certain things about the Dharma I really did not understand with the depth I have now. And sometimes it took years of being patient, of coming back to it and coming back and asking more questions and asking six different teachers what their take was on the same subject until I could understand what the heck they were talking about. Uh, so be be experimental with your practice you know allow yourself to uh, to not use you know skillful doubt in a sense to shy away from challenging yourself you know without challenging yourself challenge yourself see how that lands for you because you'll you'll find there are going to be things that are just, The mind can't understand until it gets deeper in practice, and then eventually you're like, oh, this is that thing that the Buddha was talking about. I can see it now. I couldn't see it before. It's like, how cool. And there's a nice little celebration there when you do see it, because you've been patient enough to check it out and to not get wrapped up in uh, kind of like it does. It's not familiar to me, so I'm going to push it away. I think we'll stop. I think that's uh, all I have to say about doubt this evening. Doubt's just a great subject. So much to doubt. Oh my goodness. I feel like my disposition is great for the Dharma because I'm so doubtful. I feel like Dharma accepted me for all my doubtful inclinations and all my, it it annoyed the crap out of my parents. (laughs) I was just that child that was like, I'm not going to believe you until I figure it out for myself and I'm just going to keep bugging you and asking you questions or misbehaving until I can do it my own, (laughs) do it my own way. And finally, I found a, a large spiritual community where I could totally be that way and it's totally fine. <laughs> All right, let's move into uh, some loving kindness practice as we uh, conclude our evening. Thanks so much for uh, coming back to the, the digital Dharma home. Take a few intentional breaths. Just intuit in this moment what kind of breathing would relax the body and bring the mind back in touch with the sensations of being. let's just thank ourselves and everyone in this Digital Dharma Hall for the generosity of their presence this evening, making the evening what it was. Sangha is amazing, in part because we can't create it by ourselves. Got to do it together. Grateful for spiritual friendships support in our practice. Maybe we can cultivate some gratitude for our experience of the evening. Grateful for any wisdom, reflection, or experience that might lead to our long-term happiness and well-being. in that space, we can remind ourselves that though we practice for our own awakening, we practice for our own healing, our own joy, our own sense of freedom. Our highest aspiration is to show up in the world as kind, generous, and compassionate beings, wishing well for everyone without exception. That with each breath, we wish that all beings be free. So let's conclude by asking ourselves this question. In this moment, if I could wish anything for all beings and know it would come to pass, what would we wish for all beings with each breath? we all know true happiness the true causes of happiness in this very lifetime Be well, my friends. See you next week in person. (laughs) Take care now.
0: Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge, so this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.WednesdayWakeUp.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.